Second Timothy chapter four. Thank you, singers, spirit-filled singers. I like that. That's right. Amen. Give me a little <coughs> over the Gators any day. Yeah. Not against the Gators. Just like I like local, spirit-filled gospel singing. Amen. Good. You want to stand for a moment? We'll be sitting for the next couple hours. I talked to the pastor just now. I said, what time are they used to getting out around here, man? They'll sing for an hour and 15 minutes. Well, the priest said, we don't come to get out. We come to get in around here. And they like that everywhere. You gotta, he said, we don't watch our clocks. But I, you know I'm about a 30, 40-minute preacher at the most if God gets in it. But I do want to give you what God has laid on my heart. And I believe without a doubt this is the direction. I was really in balance, hanging in the balance on which direction. I had two messages heavy on my heart. But I think through the singing... And through the testimonies that were given, um, God's going to have me go this direction. I thought, honestly, I knew exactly what I was going to preach tonight. All day, all day yesterday, all day today, up until about two hours ago. So you pray for me, preachers. You know how that goes. 2 Timothy chapter 4, we'll begin reading um, in verse number 6. Let's pray first. Father, I need you tonight. I pray that you would continue now to move through this place. I pray that the power of God would fill this tent, that you would help my throat, God, as I as I preach. You know how much I need you. And I pray that you would help me in a mighty way. But more, more than that, I pray that you would help your people tonight. I pray that you would make our hearts contrite, our minds uh, blocked off from the things of the world for a while. Forgive us where we failed you. And bind the powers of evil upon this place. Use us, Father, for the next few moments. In Jesus Christ's name we pray and ask it. Amen. Amen. Chapter 4, verse number 6. For I am now ready to be offered in the time of my departure is at hand. I fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day. And not to me only but unto all them also that love his appearing. Do that diligence to come shortly unto me, for Demas hath forsaken me, loving or having loved this present world, and is departed unto Thessalonica, Grecians to Galatia, Titus unto Dalmatia. Only Luke is with me. Take Mark and bring him with thee, for he is profitable to me for the ministry. Tychicus have I sent to Ephesus. The cloak that I left at Troas with Carpus, when thou comest, bring with thee in the books, but especially the parchments. Alexander the coppersmith did me much evil. The Lord reward him according to his works. Notice he didn't say we're going to reward him. The Lord will. Of whom be thou where also. He did warn him. He said, for he had greatly withstood our words. There's nothing wrong with warning the brethren of those out there that are trying to devour the flock. Just don't try to get back at them. That's God's job. Hey, we don't rob God of our tithes and offerings, do we? Do we? We're not supposed to. And we'll preach that and we'll tell that. But what about what about taking vengeance into our own hands? God said, vengeance is mine. I will repay. So when you take things into your own hands, you're robbing God. Vengeance belongs to Him. Don't take it from Him. Or I'll throw that at you. Of whom be thou aware also, for he hath greatly withstood our words. At my first answer no man stood with me, but all men forsook me. I pray God that it may not be laid to their charge. Notwithstanding, the Lord stood with me and strengthened me, that by me the preaching might be fully known, and that all the Gentiles might hear. And I was delivered out of the mouth of the lion, and the Lord shall deliver me from every evil work, and will preserve me into his heavenly kingdom, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Salute Prisca and Aquila, and the household of Anesiphorus. Erastus abode at Corinth, but uh, Trophimus have I left at Miletum sick. Do thy diligence to come before winter. Eubulus greeteth thee, and Pudens, and Linus, Claudia and all the brethren, watch this statement. The Lord Jesus Christ be with thy spirit. Amen. Grace be with you. Amen. If we've ever needed a time where we needed the grace of God with our spirit, it's now. You can leave on the mountaintop on Sunday morning before you get to the second red light, your spirit be in the depths of hell. We need grace, don't we? You can have a seat. I'm interested in a statement that Paul makes to Timothy in verse number 21. Read with me again the, the first part. He says, do thy diligence to come before winter. Here's an older man named Paul, and he's writing to a younger man named Timothy. A man that's at the end of his ministry is addressing 
a young man who is at the beginning of his ministry. Paul is right now a prisoner in Rome. You know, you've studied your Bible, you know where he's at and the time frame. And so he's asking Timothy to bring some articles that he may need during the wintertime. Maybe Paul's mind is reminiscing of the times when he and Timothy began and he picked them up on his missionary journeys. Paul and Timothy have spent many years and many tears together. He's now in prison and his memory is probably his only friend at this time. And verse number 13, uh, read with me. The cloak that I left at Troas with Carpus and when thou comest bring with thee in the books, but especially the parchments. The cloak, I believe that was the physical needs that he had on the outside. He was going to need warmth physically. The books, I personally believe they were textbooks. I believe that Paul had an intellectual need. He was very brilliant, very smart. And then he says, especially the parchments, I believe that was the Old Testament scrolls. I wouldn't argue with you, but that's what I personally believe. I believe that he had not only a physical need and an intellectual need, but he had a spiritual need. Our bodies get cold and we need clothing. Now, stay with me because I'm heading somewhere. Our bodies get cold and we will need clothing. Our minds get bored and we need activity or we'll go start raving mad. Our spirit gets hungry and we need the Scriptures, the Word of God. That's the only thing that will feed your spirit. But in verse number 9, there's another need. Read it with me. Do that diligence. He said, just come shortly unto me. Can I just say, church, we have social needs. We need each other. We need friendship. We need fellowship. I need you and you need me. How, How boring and how horrible would it be if we didn't have the fellowship of the brethren? Of the saints of God. And we need friends. I I thank God for my Christian friends. I I thank God for your pastor, uh, Brother David Sedaris. He'll call me or text me. And and out of the blue, I'll just hear from him. And it, it encourages me to keep going. So Paul says to Timothy, If there's ever been a time that I need you in my life, I need you now. You may be thinking, Really, preacher? Paul, the Apostle Paul, I mean, Paul needs a friend. Are you talking about the same guy that defied all the idols and gods uh, with boldness on Mars Hill? Are you talking about the great man that was slick enough to escape a city that wanted to stone him? Are you talking about the man that the devils of hell said in Acts chapter 19? They said, Paul we know and Jesus we know, but who are you? You're talking about the man that the devils of hell knew his name and put him in the same context with Jesus Christ? That man, you're talking about the man who stood out on the bow of a ship in one of the greatest storms your King James Bible has ever recorded called Eurachlodon and looked at those men and said, Sirs, I believe God. You're talking about one of the greatest preachers who gave his years to the Lord Jesus Christ. He needs a friend. Yeah. That's who we're talking about. He's at a place in his life and he says, I need somebody, Timothy, to come and visit with me. Do thy diligence. Do your best and do it quickly. Why such an urgency? Why does Paul put such an urgency on his friend Timothy coming and visiting with him? Well, winter is almost there. The harbors are going to be closing. Do you know what wintertime pictures in your Bible? It pictures a time of bitterness and a time of coldness at heart. That's why Jesus said in Matthew chapter 24 and verse 20, But pray ye that your flight be not in the wintertime. In other words, he said, You better pray to God that I don't come back while you're cold and undone and bitter and, 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 and out of God's will. There's going to be, listen to me. You better be close to God. You better keep the oil in your lamp. Keep the trimmed and burning because Jesus said you better pray that your flight be not in the wintertime. Paul knows that he may not live through the winter. Look at verse number 6. For I am now ready to be offered and the time of my departure is at hand. I'm sure Timothy feels Paul's tears as he reads this letter. Timothy pictures Paul shivering in the cold and needing his coat or his cloak. I can see Timothy as he pictures his friend Paul with no source of scriptures as his spiritual need is becoming uh, to a droughtful time. Then he pictures Paul with no source of activity to kill 
the boredom in his mind. But then he pictures Paul longing to simply fellowship with him and sit down and talk. Timothy knows how much Paul loves him. He feels Paul's pain and he weeps and he communes with God for his friend. But Timothy, for whatever reason, doesn't, I don't believe, made it to Paul before winter time. He doesn't make it to Rome before winter time. Maybe it's the cares of the ministry. Maybe it's the cares of his family. Springtime rolls around and Timothy, for maybe whatever reason, has put off going to see Paul. And springtime rolls around. Now wintertime is over. And he starts gathering the cloak and the parchments and the books and the things that Paul needs. And he says, now it's a convenient time. Now I've got the lawn mowed and I've got the church in order and I've got my people in order and my wife's happy and my kids are happy. And now it's a little bit better weather riding weather. So I think I'll go see my buddy Paul now. And winter time is over. And so he gathers up his things and he heads to Rome and he enters into the city and perhaps he approaches a Roman soldier. And he goes to that Roman soldier and he says, Sir, can you tell me where the Apostle Paul is being held? I got some things that he is longing for. He wrote me a letter several months ago and I've got the things that he needs. He's a great preacher. I'm sure you've heard of him. His name is Paul. Can you tell me where he's at? And that Roman soldier, I can see in my mind as he looks at young Timothy, he says, you want to see who? I want to see the Apostle Paul. I've got what he needs. And that big Roman soldier gives out a good, hefty, hearty laugh. <laughs> you won't be seeing the Apostle Paul ever again. We took his head off. Paul's dead. And I can see as Timothy gets a lump in his throat. And tears roll down his cheeks. And he looks at that Roman soldier. And he thinks to himself, Oh, if I just would have came before winter... If I just would have got here before wintertime. But now he's got to live with the fact that he put it off. And he put it off for a more convenient season. Wintertime's come. Wintertime's gone. And the chance to do what he was told to do will never approach him again. Listen to me, church. There's going to be things that God deals with you. And when he deals with you, you better react. Wow, he's dealing with you. I thought about how many people have put off conviction in their life. Like the sister was talking about how God uh, uh, so certainly uh, settled in my heart what to preach tonight through her testimony. As she had put it off and put it off. And how many people here could say, Preacher, I put it off. When God dealt with me, I didn't react the first time. And thank God he gave me a second and a third and a thirtieth chance. Or however many times God dealt with you, he didn't have to deal with you. But once, you know that's right. I remember when I got saved, you know my testimony, and, and I can't help it, I've only lived one life, I've only got so many illustrations, but you know the deal, how, who I, how I rode with the Hells Angels, and got involved in all that stuff, and for 13 years, I, I was a wretch, and, and I lived in the same place for so long, and, and for since 1998, I lived in the same in the same home, and so everyone in the neighborhood, in the community, and outside the community knew who I was, I was a very... Um, and, and I don't want to brag on my sin, but I, you must know where I came from. I, I dealt dope to some very high up people. I was one of the main suppliers for the Hells Angels and several politicians. I was dealing painkillers. I was dealing methamphetamines. I was speedballing. I, was, I would deal anything that I could get my hands on to make money and to feed my own habit. I was eating up with scabs from the top of my head to the bottom of my feet by the time that dope really got a hold of me. Because my nervous system was playing tricks on me and I, I would dig in my skin after the bugs that was crawling in me that weren't even there because my nervous system was breaking down. I looked like a monster. But when God saved me, the word started getting out that the Lord had saved the maniac from Gadara. And God cleaned me up. And about two or three years later, I was pastoring the church in a little storefront. I started a church in Lugolf, South Carolina. Still a pastor of Sunrise Baptist Church today. Six going on seven years. But when I started pastoring that church in the storefront, people would get the word that I had gotten saved and that I wasn't dealing dope and riding with hell's angels anymore. And so they would come to the storefront just to see, is it true that Benny Rooster got religion? That's what they called me. And so I would, I would watch them come through the back door and sit on the back pew. Boy, I'd preach hell hot and heaven sweet. 
I preach like it was my last. I preach like the, the Calvary was yesterday, the second coming was tomorrow. I mean, I just let her rip. And I'd watch people come in and, and many got saved and many left and they didn't get saved. And I remember this one boy named Sean. He used to run with him and he always wanted to be a part of the gang that I run with, but he wasn't quite, he didn't quite fit the mold. And he, for lack of a better term, he just wasn't tough enough. Can I just put it that way? And, but he always loved to hang out with us and, and he was my buddy. So he'd come to church. And I remember the first time he came, I started preaching on hell. And he said in the very back row, I can show you the pew and I can show you the spot in that old storefront building. Where I gave the invitation and he held on, literally, held on to the back of that pew with all of his might. And I'd peek as I was praying and I'd watch him and he'd grip it and tears would roll down his face and land on that padded pew in front of him. And, and I would beg him to come and I'd beg him to get saved and I'd tell him that you may not have tomorrow. Your heart could quit beating. Jesus could come back. You're not promised a second chance. And I'd beg him to come and he'd hold on to the pew. And I, after the service, after he left, I'd go look and there would be tear stains all over the pew in front of him. And after everybody would leave, I would get over that pew and pray for him. Next Sunday morning, he'd come back. I gave the invitation. He'd hold on and he'd weep. And the next Sunday, the next Sunday, probably six or seven, six or seven Sundays in a row. But I watched him as I would give the invitation. As he would go from holding on to that pew and weeping buckets of tears to the next time he would weep a little bit and a little bit less and a little bit less. And the sixth or seventh time that I gave the invitation for sinners to come get saved, he was tapping on his watch, tapping his foot, and couldn't wait to get out the door. And I never seen him again. You know what happened to that young man? You can write about gossips of Northeast Columbia. Four out of seven days out of the week, you'll see his Harley Davidson Park in front of the bar. I believe that God has turned him over to a reprobate mind. God dealt with him and dealt with him and dealt with him. And he went from being broken and accepting the call and wanting to accept the call to tapping on his watch saying, I wish he'd shut up so I can go get me a chicken leg. You put off conviction and put it off and put it off and put it off. You only say no for so long. You better pray for grace. Yeah. I remember another boy, there was a fellow come to my church, and, and he said, I want you to go pray for my daddy. Pray with him in the hospital. He's dying. He's got cancer. The doctors give him two weeks to live. All of his life, he went to church and played games with God. He run a bar. He was a, he run a, an underground gambling operation in Columbia. And, and, and he never got saved, and he put it off and put it off. He said, I want you to go see my daddy. He's dying. He's going to go to hell. I remember walking in that, in that hospital room. And I, and I pulled up a chair beside the man. He was on oxygen. He couldn't hardly talk. He could make his words out, but not very clear. The doctors had told him that he had less than two weeks to live. And he did. He didn't even live the full two weeks. I walked in the hospital room. And I said, sir, I'm Pastor Barry Spears. Your son goes to my church. He asked me to come up here and talk to you about your soul. You know the doctors have only given you less than two weeks to live. I want to talk to you about the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you mind if I turn the television off? He said, yeah, I reckon that'll be all right. So I hit the off button on the television. And I remember going through the Romans road where all of sin and come short of the glory of God. None of, there's none righteous, no, not one. But God commendeth his love toward us. And that while we're yet sinners, Christ died for us. Whoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And I went down and down. And I'm weeping and I've been praying. And I looked up at him as I'm talking to him. And I'm telling him how hot that hell is going to be. And he don't want to go there. You'll fry like fat back for eternity. And you'll scream for mercy. And you'll scream for grace. But the day of grace will be over. And you'll never get out. And while I'm pouring my heart out to him. And I'm weeping. And I'm trying to get him to Jesus. He looks at me. And he hit his oxygen machine. He goes, that blankety blank oxygen machine ain't working. You want to see a picture of my grandkids? There was zero conviction left in that man. You know what happened? He put God off all of his life. He put God off. He pushed off conviction. He pushed off the love of God. He pushed off the grace of God. Here he is now at 75, 80 years old, less than two weeks to live, and hell's knocking on his door, and he don't even want to hear about the grace of God. He's more interested in the pictures of his grandkids, and he died, and he went to hell because he waited until wintertime, and wintertime came, and it was gone. So what are you talking about, preacher? Things that we ought to do. 
before winter time. When God's dealing with you. I'm talking about opportunities for salvation. And I'm talking about opportunities in life with your family. Yeah. Can I just get down and personal here with you for a little while? There's been many people I've talked to that can tell me stories of people dying in their family that they wish to God that they could go back and just have a few more days with them. But wintertime came. Wintertime has left. And they can't go back. There was a man in my, in my home church. His name was Ralph Hale. He wouldn't mind me telling you this. He told me with tears in his eyes one day. He said, the last memory I have of my dad, his dad was 85 or 90 years old when he passed. He said, I went to pick him up. He wanted to go get ice cream. So I picked him up in my new van. He said, I went through the drive through of Baskin Robbins and got him what he liked. And as we were driving down the road, my daddy licked that ice cream cone and a drop of ice cream got on my carpet. He said, Brother Barry, I pulled over and I fussed at my dad. And I said, Dad, you can't eat that ice cream in my van. This is a brand new van. You're going to ruin the carpet. And I made my dad throw his ice cream cone away. He said he died less than a week later from natural causes. He said, the last memory I have of my father telling him he couldn't eat an ice cream in my van. He said, the van's gone. I could care less about it. I cleaned the carpet. There was no stain. He said, but I've got that memory in my mind forever that I fussed at my daddy over eating a stick of ice cream. My son is 20 years old. And he come up to me several weeks ago and he said, Dad, now, you got to remember, I, I got saved when Cody was 10. He's 20 now. Married with a beautiful home and a beautiful family. Doesn't have kids yet, but praying about that. And when Cody was nine years old, all he ever remembered was Christmas morning, his daddy getting drunk and getting high, walking past the Christmas tree and telling him they was on their own. And We've got videos of me walking through the living room with my colors on my back, and you can hear motorcycles crank up out in the driveway. And, and on Christmas morning, you can see my children with their head hung down with tears because Daddy didn't even hang out for Christmas. Too, too worried about getting high. When he was nine years old, I got him one of those bicycles that looked like a motorcycle. My wife and I saved up, and we got that for him, and we were so proud to give it to him. Cody has always been one to tear things apart, try to rebuild them, and try to be cool like his daddy. And I remember just a couple weeks after we got him that bicycle, he tore that thing apart to a thousand pieces. And he came up to me several weeks ago, and, and he said, he said, Daddy, he said, Pa, you remember when you got me that bicycle for Christmas when I was nine? I said, oh, yeah, I remember that. He said, you remember when I tore it apart? into a hundred pieces and it was out there in the shop beside your motorcycles and you walked out there and you saw it and you got mad at me and I did and, and I got mad at him and, and I'd been drinking and I'd been taking pills and I remember whipping him for it I didn't beat him but I whipped him pretty good and I told him I said son you don't respect anything I, I try to get you things and you tear it up and You'll never get another bicycle. And I remember taking all those parts and putting them in a piece of poly plastic and I wrapped them all up and I threw them on the back of my truck and I hauled them to the dump. And I remember looking in the rearview mirror at my son standing there kicking the dirt going and just mad about it and, and crying that he couldn't get his bicycle back. And I, and I spun off in that old Ford F-150 and I went to the dump and I threw it in the dumpster and I whipped him and I, I told him, I said, you don't deserve to have a bicycle. He told me. Several weeks ago, he said, Dad, you remember that? I said, yeah, I remember. He looked at me. And he said, Dad, sorry, tearing my bike up. He said, but I'm telling you, he said, I wasn't trying to be mean. He said, uh, he said, Dad, I was just trying to be like you. He said, I've seen you tear them old motorcycles apart, put new handlebars on them, and take the primary off, and put the, change the, the fenders, and change the all the tanks and stuff on him. He said, Dad, I want to be like you so bad. He said, I couldn't wait to get that bicycle back together and prove to you that I was cool like you. And he looked at me and he said, Paul, I'm sorry for letting you down. And, I, and it hit me like a ton of lead. Yeah. And I thought, what if I could go back? Yeah. If I could go back about 10, 11 years. And grab you by the hand and say, son, I don't know what you're doing with that bicycle, but I hope it goes back together. Yeah. 
And then take a little bit of time and help him put it back together and make it look cooler and get those years back. But I can't go back and get those years. I can't take that whipping back from him. And I can't take that depression back from him. But I told him, I said, buddy, I'm sorry. I said, I'm going to do my best for the rest of my years to love you and to love your kids if you ever have any and to spend time with you and to take that time and invest it in you and let you know that I love you and let you know that I can't, I can't go back. I can't go forward. How many times have our children just wanted to be like us? Wanted to do something to impress us and it get on our nerves a little bit. And I'm with you. I'm not fussing about you. I'm just telling. I want to help you tonight. How many times have our children come up? We think, boy, when you get a little bit older, I'll take you fishing. Or when you get a little bit older, I'll let you help me change the tire. Or, girl, when you get a little bit older, you can help me with the dishes. Or you can help Mama do this. Why not? Just take the time now and take those years and make them precious. Because there's going to come a time when those years are gone. And you won't be able to go back and get them. Paul said, do that diligence to come before winter. Timothy put it off. The opportunity was gone. I've never heard anyone say, I spent too much time with my family as they got older. I've never heard anyone say, well, I regret going to church so much. Or I regret forgiving so many people while they're on their deathbed. I've never heard anyone on their deathbed look at me and say, you know, I wish I hadn't spent as much time around the house of God. But I have heard them say, I'm so thankful that I listened to the voice of God yeah. when I did. Amen. When I was 16 years old, I went to see my grandfather. My grandfather fought in two wars. My great-grandfather, I'm sorry. And my mom begged me. She said, you need to go see your grandpa, Bart. You need to go see him. He's not doing good. Not. I said, Mom, i got so much to do. i got a girlfriend. i got a job. i got a car to pay for. i got to be cool. i got all things to do. Mom said, you're going to regret it one day, son. You need to go see him. So finally I did. I went and seen him with her. And I was there about 10 minutes, and I was agitated, fidgety, and ready to go. And, and I'll never forget, as we were at the Dorm VA Hospital in Garnets Ferry Road, that's where he spent the last few years of his life. And my mom had brought him out to the hallway, and he was in his wheelchair, and he was sitting with his back to the wall, and people were walking by, and Mama was sitting beside him. My sister, Elisa, was on the other side, and I was sitting on the opposite side of where they were at, and I was just trying to abide the time, maybe 10 or 15 minutes at the most was I there. And I told Mom, I said, Mom, i got to go to work. i got, I got bills to pay. I've got things to do. I'll come back and see Grandpa later. My mama looked at me. She goes, son, whatever. And I remember walking down the hall, and I turned back, and I seen my Grandpa sitting there with his head down. And I thought, you know, I'll come back in a few days, and I'll see you. And I'll sit down, and I'm going to give him all day. I'm just going to let him talk to me about the war. I'm going to let him talk to me about how he met Grandma and how he raised my mother and, and all that. I'm just going to let him talk for hours. I'm just going to, I'm going to give him that time. But not today. i got things to do. I remember looking back and seeing him. My heart melted a little bit, but I thought, no, I've got stuff to do. Two days later, my mom called me. She says, son, I've got bad news. Grandpa Bart's went home to be with the Lord today. I remember my heart sinking because the last memory I have of my grandfather was looking back thinking I'm too busy to give him a couple hours and just hear what he's got to say. And the rest of my life, I've got to live with the memory of putting it off and putting it off until it was too late. I believe with all my heart that the devil is a master to get people to put things off. Not only for salvation, but for serving the Lord and for being with your family. I don't know who you are here tonight. I don't even know, I don't know three quarters of you that are here. But I do know that all day long God's dealt with me about this message. Number one, I believe this, and I'm finished. Number one, I believe that God's dealing with someone about salvation. And you're going to put it off, and you're going to put it off until the time comes that you become a reprobate. Jeremiah said, reprobate silver because the Lord hath rejected them. Pharaoh said no so many times, and then God hardened his heart and said, it's not up to you anymore. 
There'll come a time when you put it off and put it off and put it off and put it off where you won't even feel conviction anymore. And you'll die and go to hell with your eyes wide open. But let me give you some good news. If you're sitting here tonight and you're wondering and you're concerned, if you're even concerned about your soul, you're not reverent. If you're even concerned about hell and if your heart is even stirred a little bit, there's still hope for you. So here's my question. Are you willing to walk out of this tent again and leave another service where the Spirit-filled singers have given us their hearts and the choir has sang their guts out and the preacher has done his best to mind the mind of God and preach the heartbeat of God and God has orchestrated a service just for you, sir, just for you, ma'am. Are you going to get up and trample underfoot the blood of Christ again knowing that it may be your last opportunity to get right with God? And then my other question is, sir, ma'am, are you going to continue to put off the call to go witness to that person that God told you to witness to? I remember right after I got saved, I'm done with this. I was going to tell you this, and I, I think God wants me to. I remember just a couple of weeks after I got saved, God dealt with me about going and, and actually about a week after I got saved, and, and, and witness, he wanted me to witness to a boy named Paul. I had sold him a bunch of dope the day before I got saved. And I knew that he had enough to last him for at least a week or two between the pills and the cocaine that I had dealt him. And God said, that boy looks up to you. He, he, he wanted to be like you. He wanted to be in your club. You know you could reach him. And I put it off. And I got a phone call about two days after I started putting off the call to go witness to him. And then here's what they told me. Mary, the girl that owned the bar, I want her to the Lord. She sold the bar and shut it down and started going to church. That's a whole different story. But she called me. She said this. She said, Paul's dead. I went, what do you mean he's dead? So they found him in the schoolhouse bathroom, that was the bar, with a needle in his arm, overdosed, with his head laying by a toilet, urine all around the commode, and blood where he hemorrhaged from an overdose. And I remember thinking, my God, that's the dope that I sold him, that he put in his veins that killed him. And I thought, if I just would have listened to God, maybe I could have got to Paul and said, Paul, get rid of the dope. Get Jesus. Jesus delivered me. He can deliver you. I know you can do it, Paul. I believe I could have got to him. But I put it off. And I said, no, Lord. I'm not going yet. When there's a convenient time, I'll go witness to him. But wintertime came. And I tried to get to him. And the time and the calling was over. And Paul's in hell as far as I know. God told you to witness to someone. Oh, his blood's on my hands, and I'll stand before God for it. Has God told you to witness to that clerk at the bank? That guy down the road that lives next door to you, the guy that borrowed that tool, never brought it back. That per whoever it is, God said, you know, you need to swallow all that pride and all of your bitterness and go tell them about Jesus. Just love on them and forgive them because hell is no place that you want anybody to go. And listen to me, sir. Listen to me, ma'am. You keep putting it off and putting it off. God's just liable to let their blood be on your account when you stand before him in judgment, right? Let's stand together. I want someone to come get on the piano. I'm done. Is God dealing with you about salvation? God dealing with you about witnessing someone? God dealing with you about spending more time with your family? Don't put it off. Oh, if I could go back, undo some of the memories of my children. But I want to say this. The past 11 years of my life, drug-free, Listen, I haven't even touched tobacco in 11 years. God's been good to me. God gave me an extra bout of grace. I know that. I, and God got me off the Oxycontin and the methamphetamines and the cocaine and the alcohol. Got me out of the street gang. I mean, got my mind out of the gutter. Listen, God is good. He's a good God. It's been almost 11 years. I've been clean as a whistle. I know I'm still filthy rags in the sight of God, but down here, I'm doing pretty good. I still got some stuff that I regret. I've made up my mind, church. God deals with me. I'm going.
God tells me to turn around and go back to the Fats Cafe like I did one time and give somebody a track and an extra piece of money for a tip, I'm going. God tells me to hand the gasoline attendant a clerk a track, I'm handing them one. If God tells me to walk up to a, a street gang and tell them Jesus loves them, I'm going. I'm telling you, I don't want anyone else's blood on my hands. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. Maybe you're here tonight. I'm done. You say, preacher, I'm lost. I'm playing games with God. I need to get saved. I want you to pray for me. Would you just put your hand in the air? Anyone at all? Anyone? Hold it up high and let me see it. Anyone? You say, preacher, it's me. I'm the one. I'm lost. I know it. And I'm going to burn in hell if God don't save me. Anyone at all? I know just because you don't raise your hand doesn't make you saved. But if you raise it, you're a step closer than you've ever been. All right, second question. Preacher, God's dealt with me about witnessing to people, and I personally have put things off that God has dealt with me. You pray that God will give me the boldness to stand up for Him. I want you to slip your hand up in the air. Hands all over the tent. I'm going to put my own, my own hand up. God's recognizing that hand. He's going to give you extra help for raising it. I believe that. Yes. Last question. Preacher, I have neglected my family in some way, shape, or form. And I need to do better with my children, my grandparents, my in-laws. I, I need to give more of myself to my family. Would you pray for me? Raise your hand. Hands all over the tent. I'm going to pray. And I'm going to pass you come. Father, thank you so much for helping us tonight. Lord, I hope I have not hurt anyone. My objective was to help, to encourage your people that time is running out. Winter time is almost here. The harbors will be closing. I believe you're coming back yesterday. That's how close we are. Yes, yes. Help us to be about our Father's business. I pray for every person that raised their hand that you would give them supernatural, special help tonight from this night forward to carry the commands and the covenants and the laws and the statutes and the love and the forgiveness and the grace and the mercy that you have commanded us to carry. In Jesus' name. Make your way now. Come. God's already spoken. Just like last night. Come. Move from this side. Move from this side. Make your way to the altar. God's dealt with your heart. Come. That's right. Sunday school, but this is revival. I wonder what it would take for you to get your spouse and your children by the hand, get around this altar and just surrender to God while God's moving and stirring the waters. I wonder what it would take to get you, sir, ma'am, get your spouse right now is while we're singing, while we're talking. And just get around this altar and say, God, help me to mind you, not to wait till winter time's over. There used to be a time we didn't have to beg people to come to the altar. I know we're living in a day and age where we're concerned about time and and, 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 and the Spirit of God, He's got so much to work through to get to us. But I just wonder right now, who are we? How many of us here would be willing right now just to come forward? Get your spouse, get your children, get a friend. And let's get around this altar. And I'm going to lead us in prayer. And I want you to stay around the altar for a few moments. If you're here, I want you to stay at the altar. Don't get up. I'm going to have the girls sing another verse of that. And then I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray from my heart. It's not going to be vain repetition. I'm going to pray for you from my heart. The Bible says the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. I'm going to pray for you from my heart. And I believe with all my heart that God's going to do a miracle. I'm not Benny Hinn or Rod Parsley, but I do believe in the power of God. They're going to sing another verse. I'm going to give you time to come and get in on this blessing. Because when I pray, I'm going to pray for everybody that's serious enough to get up and take a step forward. 
I'm going to pray that God will give you supernatural help that you've never felt before in your life. Sing, girls. Sing. Stay at this altar now. Don't go nowhere. Come, kneel at your chair. Let's get a hold of God. Kneel wherever you at. Sing. same yesterday, the same today, and the same forever. And you change not. And God, as I approach the throne of grace this very night, on behalf of this congregation, I pray, God, as we claim those verses where you said, lead me to the rock that is higher than I. And God just said, uh, where David said, my heart is overwhelmed. Uh, that's how I feel tonight for your people. And I pray that you help us now uh, as we pray, Lord, we ask you to forgive us now for our harsh attitudes. Uh, help us, Lord, with our vile tongues. Uh, help us with our holy hearts. Uh, help us with our prideful spirits, uh, our greed and our covetousness. Uh, forgive us for boasting. Uh, forgive us for bragging. Uh, forgive us for our lack of faith, uh, our ill motives, uh, the sort of our labor, the hatred that is uh, stirred up in our hearts uh, for all emotions, Lord, uh, for straying and stumbling, uh, for laziness and lust uh, and lies uh, and character flaws. Uh, forgive us for bitterness and worldliness uh, and a lack of compassion for others uh, and a lack of mercy and grace. Uh, oh, God, would you search us, oh, God. Uh, see if there be any wicked way in us. Uh, I'm going to lift up my eyes unto the hills uh, from which cometh my help. Uh, my help cometh from the Lord, uh, which made the heavens and the earth. Uh, you said that we can be like a tree. You said, Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law that they meditate day and night. And he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water, which bringeth forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. The ungodly are not so, but are like the chaff which the wind driveth away. Therefore the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knoweth the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. And God, if there's one here tonight who's getting ready to perish, I pray you save them, God, and plant them like a tree by the rivers of water. Let them bring forth fruit. God, don't let them go to hell. Save them by your good grace. Kick the devils of hell off of this property. Give us liberty tonight as your people are bowed down. No doubt we're full of regret and remorse. And Lord, for some of the things that we've done, some of the choices that we've made, some of the problems that we faced that were our own infliction, I pray, dear God, that you'd help your people in a way like you've never helped them before. God, is everything within me has, I'm giving you my all, God, as I beg you, if you've got anything coming our direction, open up the windows of heaven, pour it out upon your people. God, help us to get serious about serving the Lord. God, help us to quit playing patty cake in church. Help us to quit tiptoeing through the tulips and patty caking through the petunias and to realize that heaven is real and hell is real and people are slipping off into hell by the groves every day. Oh, but there's still grace available. Oh, God, we 
would you please save? Help us to sell out, Lord. Help mom and daddy to stand hand in hand and salute the captain of the salvation and say, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. Help us to spend more time with our youngins, to spend more time on our knees, to give more time to the elderly. Help us, dear God, to spend more time in the house of God. All that we pray, all that your people would pray, all that we get a hold of the the altar and quit playing church and realize this is a serious thing. We must get serious about God. We must know that we know that we know that our names are written down in the Lamb's Book of Life because we're going to go to hell, God, if He goes. I'm thankful for now faith. Not yesterday and not tomorrow. But now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. For by it the elders obtained a good report. Through faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God so that things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. By faith Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice. I'm thankful, dear God, that by faith Moses, when he was come to years, chose rather to be called a child of God than enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season, esteeming the reproach of Christ, greater riches than the treasures in Egypt. I thank you, dear God, that there's still a handful of youngins like the pastor's daughter, Lord, who stands up here in this choir with tears on her face. And God, how you've illuminated her in my life this week as I've watched her sing with the power and the glory of God in her life. Just a 15-year-old girl. I know the devils of hell would love to get their bony fingers around her neck and cause her to be unpure and to give herself away and to do something to flaw her character. I'm begging you, dear God, if there's a predator out there anywhere near any of these young girls. You kill them before they get to them. God, kill them graveyard dead. Help put a protecting hedge around these young boys and around these young girls and let them live good lives and let the sin that I've seen never touch them, never spot their garments, but let them live holy and righteous in this present world. I pray, dear God, for this meeting that you'd use a father. Touch Brother Sedaris. I know how the devil's going to get on his shoulder. Bless his wife. Bless his children. Bless his church. Touch your people. Dear God, I feel your spirit in here tonight. I feel your unction, Lord. I feel your liberty. I feel you dealing with your people. And dear God, help us to pay attention. Get the carnal wax out of our ears. Get the carnal scales off of our eyes. And hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. You said with no vision the people perish. And God, there's people out here that can't see. They can't see. There's no vision. Open their eyes. Sing, girls. Sing something for us. Hallelujah. God, I feel your presence in here tonight. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Miss Savior Rich, like me. Oh, dear God, thank you for saving souls. Does he know your name? Does he know you? says there was a rich man and a man named Lazarus. You notice God never gave the rich man's name. You know why? They didn't know him. He named Lazarus. He knew him. They said there was just a rich man who died and went to hell. You can say you know him all day long, but if he doesn't know you, that's what counts. Do you know him? Say, girls, thank you, God, for saving that young lady. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Listen. 
You just said the word, signed the card, got dipped in water, and you're still lost and on your way to hell. And God don't want you to go there. He's given you another chance to let the Holy Ghost sweep through an old-fashioned tent. Thank God for an old-fashioned, old-fashioned, old-fashioned meeting. God's not done. There's a battle raging. The devil, listen, he's the father of lies. He started telling you before the service started, you're all right, you don't need that. You got another time, you got another party, got another day, got another year. You may, but you may not. I know a lot of people, a lot could give you many testimonies of people that left good meetings and within 24 hours met God Almighty without his son, Jesus Christ. God's moving. You listen, you let God speak to you. I wouldn't give a rip what anybody thought. I'm like the sister said, where's she at? Raise your hand, sis. Where's she at? Miss Misty, where's she? is she still here? She said she got, she got tired of thinking about what people thought. I'm with you. I don't give a rip either. You know what the Bible says? Can I read something while they're singing? Y'all keep singing. Let me read something to you. Let this, let this right here sink in. Put this in your pipe and smoke it. Let me show you something. Show you what God Almighty has to say about your fear. You ready? Let me find it. The Bible talks about in the book of Revelation, chapter 21 and verse 8. Listen now. But the fearful and unbelieving, abominable murderers, whoremongers, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars will have their part in the fire which burns with brimstone. Can you believe that God puts fearful in the same category as murderers and abominable and liars and sorcerers? Why would God put someone who's scared in the same category as liars and murderers and abominable and sorcerers? 
Here's why. Because if you're more scared of what that person sitting beside you thinks of you than what he thinks of you, if you're more scared of your neighbor or your girlfriend or your spouse than you are God, the fear of God is the beginning of all wisdom. If you're more scared of this crowd than you are God, you're going to the same hell that murderers and liars and sorcerers and an abominable people go. You can't be scared of people when it comes time to get saved. you got to put that fear away. Or you're in the same verse. God's dealing. You respond. Because thou sayest, I am rich and increased with goods, have need of nothing, and knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. God says you're broke. You have nothing to give. You think you got it all, but you're broke as a joke. Then he says, I cancel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire that thou mayest be rich and white raiment thou mayest be clothed that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear anoint thine eyes with thy side that thou mayest see now wait a minute you just told me I'm broke God now you're telling me to come buy something how am I going to pay for it what do I have to give up you got to give up your sin you got to give up yourself you got to lay your Isaac down God doesn't want your money God doesn't want your stuff. He wants your will. He wants your heart. He wants your rebellion gone. If you're willing to put yourself on an altar and at his feet and accept the price that he paid for his son, Jesus Christ, you can do like these other folks have done tonight and you can have eternal life. You'll never go to hell. Y'all keep singing.
said to do, God will always do what he says he'll do in return. But you got to be sincere. Satan will bring confusion. God will bring conviction. There's a difference in confusion and conviction. If you did what God said, if you called upon the name of the Lord, if you've repented of your sins, with your mouth you've confessed him, I promise you, if you meant it from your heart, don't you second guess that God didn't do His part. He's faithful. You nail it down. You can't convince me that I'm not married to my wife. I don't care what you say. I'm married to her. 21 years I've been married to her. I know her. And you can't convince me that I'm not married to my Savior. Satan brings confusion. God brings conviction. You know if you've ever surrendered to God Almighty or not. Don't live a life of insecurity. Maybe what God's dealing with you on is, man, sir, you need to get spirit-filled. You've come out of Egypt, now you need to get into Canaan. I tell you what, there's a lot of people wandering around in the desert don't even think they're saved. Because they never feel God, they never know God, God never speaks to them, they never speak to Him. And as far as they know, they're not even saved. The problem is you need to get across Jordan like we preached last night. Let's get a little resurrection bubbling up in our hearts. Same girls. God's moving. I stay till midnight. I gotta drive three and a half hours. I'm good. church for the last month of summer 
and you saw people come and being saved time after time and after time again. And you've got a place in time that you go back to, but nothing happened in your heart at that place in time. It was only in your body and only in deeds of the flesh. That's you tonight. God spoke that to me as Barry was preaching that there's somebody here that's been there and you're not saved yet. You need to come. When they finish this song, we'll be done. You need to make your way quickly. Come, make your way quickly. Preacher, I just don't know if I've ever been saved. You need to come. said, I know that I know that I know that my name is written down in the Lamb's Book of Life. 